Well, this morning, as we have before us, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And in particular, I draw our attention to verse 17, where Paul says, Therefore, when I was planning this, did I do it lightly? All the things I plan, do I plan according to the flesh, that with me there should be yes, yes, and no, no? Well, the title then that goes with our thoughts this morning, drawing upon that, is Making Plans Amidst Uncertainty. Making Plans Amidst Uncertainty. Forgive me, those of you who are visiting us, we have here as a fellowship a sense of return after the summer. Not that many of us perhaps have been away anywhere, but we we have our Seekers Club work, we trust Thursday, at least for the infants, resuming, and other things that we are looking out onto and rather imagining. Perhaps, that's the word, isn't it? Perhaps we'll be able to revive that work or engage in that more assiduously in the months that lie ahead. And as the weather has that, ah, indefinable feel of September going back to school, though not the weather forecast deliverer here this morning, you'll understand. I gather we're going to flip back into summer midweek and we'll be sweltering again under quite considerable temperatures. Well, there we are, that's September. But it is, isn't it? That sense of schools going back, universities soon going to be going back. And here we are, hoping to resume fresh endeavor for the Lord in the months ahead. Or are we? It is it, isn't it? Making plans amidst uncertainty. Well, this is where Paul, the situation is by no means parallel to ours, not at all. Quite a unique set of circumstances led to him having here at the beginning of this letter, but elsewhere, sprinkled throughout it, having to speak up, as it were, his own sincerity and reliability. Because there are people there that sat rather with their arms folded, not really believing him, not really thinking that he was credible. And for why? Well, various reasons, but one of which being that a visit that he had hoped to make to them, he had felt it not appropriate to go through with. And when he had told them, and you'll you'll read the detail there in in verse 15, and in this confidence, because that's what he felt at the time, I intended to come to you before that you might have a second benefit, to pass by way of you to Macedonia, to come again from Macedonia to you, and be helped by your my way to Judea. He was going back to Jerusalem, bearing a gift that uh, was for the benefit of the people during a time of quite considerable famine. might refer to that again a little later in the sermon. The difficulties, however, that you can read at length in 2 Corinthians and keep surfacing his own difficulty in getting a hearing. In fact, we would understand that he had tried to visit and that he had been very unsuccessful. And he could see that at the present time, there wasn't much benefit to be derived now from visiting again or going by that way and coming by again on his way to Jerusalem. That the way in which the church was behaving, the attitudes towards him, the inactivity towards some of the most, well, horrible sins that were being committed and in which the church was just super relaxed about it and thought it was actually rather 
a sign of their spiritual maturity, to be able to sort of embrace it and carry on. And Paul was not sure that they had reached the process of repentance or gone very far in it. But as we know, he is encouraged, as we find later in the letter, by what he sees and hears. However, earlier that had not been the case, and those reassurances were not there. And though he had confidently expected to visit them and uh, in his uh, complex journeyings there to have uh, visited a couple of times the way back, as it were, to Jerusalem, he had to change that plan. This information, this understanding of what was happening in the church made it perhaps unwise to visit. And it wasn't as if when he told them, first of all, that he was hedging. Yes, yes, I'm on my way. Well, I think, well, actually, I don't know whether I am. There's other things there. No, he said, I had a clear conscience. I really was fully intending to come. But then things changed, and those changes really were over on your side of the fence. And it was no longer appropriate for me to come. Well, so often people do make plans, don't they, which are yes, yes, no, no. That they're telling people what they think those people want to hear. But they know already that it's pretty unlikely that they're going to be able to fulfill those promises. Oh, dare I mention politicians there, or perhaps I shouldn't. But anyway, you get the picture. That's, we're saying yes, yes. We're saying no, no. And isn't the posh word for it called triangulation? That you're trying to keep everybody happy, telling them what they want to hear, and you're telling them what they want to hear. And guess what? You'll not be able to deliver fully on those promises. You get found out. Well, that isn't the way of the Christian, is it? We are, I hope, truthful, honest, straightforward people. And what we say is what we mean. If we're saying yes, that's what we mean. We're not sort of holding a secret agenda here and we're just sort of mincing our words or just playing with words a bit because we're actually playing with people in that. We're actually not treating them in a way that image bearers, God's image bearers, deserve to be spoken to. They deserve to hear the truth. Honestly, we all know confidentiality means you can't say everything all the time to everyone. But nevertheless, if you're making a promise, uh, well, Paul would be with us in this, that we're to do it, though, in godly sincerity and simplicity. No subterfuge, no manipulation, no uh, trying to pretend that we're this or make you believe that we're this. We're actually... We haven't got any intention of carrying it through. Well, things have changed, haven't they, in Paul's calculation, that the church was simply not in a position to be able to bear his visit, was not ready for it, and so he'd had to delay it. And ever the way, isn't it? For apostles, for us all, circumstances can and do change. Unforeseen, unforeseeable things that's not to say then the Apostle Paul had a prophetic gift, but it was not something that was there for constant application and use. He was at times making plans himself, doing it in all sincerity, but knowing that those plans could be suddenly changed. Circumstances change, and unforeseen, unforeseeable things arise. Well, as I say, we can't draw exact parallels. The situation was remarkable, unique, Impulse situation. And yet we can very much sympathize with him and can feel for him. 
that they're advertising to the church what his plans were and not doing it lightly, not doing it in a yes, yes, no, no kind of way, but then having to change those plans. Well, of course, this has been a story, has it not, for us as churches, I'm sure friends here from the churches that they represent, that this is a familiar, familiar story. Could we have been able a year ago at this particular time, have foreseen how the next months were going to proceed. Had you and I written it down, sealed it in an envelope, let's open it now and see what predictions we made when we were planning, what kinds of expectations we had. Did we get it right? I'm sure we didn't. Did we know? Well, I'll take you back to these things here. This is a trip down memory lane, isn't it? But October came and there were these tears and you're in tier one and somebody over there across the street, they found themselves in tier two, the postcode sort of lottery. And, uh, well, they couldn't go out and you could go out, but you couldn't go and see them. They couldn't see you. All right. Even government ministers didn't really know their own rules. Said they got caught out a few times with it. Did we see that coming? Oh, and then of course, just a few months away, had we stood in this pulpit in September last year and then said in two months time, there's going to be another instruction from government that churches are going to close. How painful that that one was. Many a church impaled themselves over that particular one. And yet, how could we have seen all of that? Oh, and beyond that, beyond Christmas, which we were told at one point was going to be normal, it would be inhuman for it not to be, and suddenly that all collapsed, and we ended up in the best part of three months of lockdown, didn't we, starting in early January. We see all of that when we were planning any of us, not just as a church fellowship, but any of us as households, as individuals. Do we, do we have all that in view? No, of course we didn't. And so ever the way, making plans amidst uncertainty. So my first heading, an obvious one, COVID has not gone away. COVID has not gone away. We are not yet able to say we need never mention it again, not from the pulpit, not in our conversation, not in our church meetings or anything else. We haven't, I'm afraid, friends, got there yet. And as we would understand the nature of these things, and this last year and a half, we all had to become sort of uh, armchair experts in viruses, their behaviors, variants, the language, which now we just see as commonplace. Couldn't have imagined that a year and a half ago, that that's what would be Talking about variants, new variants of this, um, um, mutations of viruses there, variants, more like what kind of chocolate ice cream you're going to have when you go to the ice cream parlor. Those are the variants there that uh, maybe we're more used to thinking of. But no, it's now virus variants and where they come from, where they don't come from, what fancy names that they have. It's not going away. And whereas we may hear it's spoken of less of a pandemic, more of something that is endemic, we may perhaps see something of the prominence of it, kind of eye-catching headline figures recede, but it's going to be an ever-present situation. It doesn't really need me to tell you that, but we've got to tell ourselves it because we can't promise ourselves anything different. When we're planning, we can't promise ourselves well, that's it. We can see the next six months. That's straightforward. We can make plans. That will happen. Then that will happen. Then that will happen. At a university back then, well, that's straightforward. 
No, it's anything but straightforward. And it could all change. And that we've had to grow a little bit accustomed to. And that hasn't changed. That possibility has not gone away. You know, six months, let alone a year. Well, the world, I mentioned it earlier here at this time, had been afflicted by a famine. Great famine that affected so many places. And as is the way of these things, affected the poorest the most. Actually, it was the people in Judea, the Gentile world, compared to Judah and Jerusalem, these places, was actually quite, quite well off. That's why Paul is anxious to take his collection amongst the, the riches of the spiritual harvest of the, the Gentile world. Then, well, now some of their material harvest can now be given to the, the Jewish background people. That's what he's about here. Well, of course, Agabus the prophet had actually foreseen that particular famine. He had prophesied. So they actually were able to take action. Well, I can reliably inform you that we're not living in the days of such prophecy and such uh, prediction. People who can stand there and tell you there's a famine coming, and you better believe it, because they always, always speak the word of God, and we know it. Who amongst the so-called prophets today predicted the arrival of COVID-19? None. And those who prophesied, and some did, that it would have disappeared by April last year, well, they got it spectacularly wrong, as they did when they confidently predicted Trump's second term. Loads of them piled in on that one, prophesying this was going to happen. They'd heard from the Lord, etc., etc., etc. Well, that didn't happen either. There was Agabus then. He got it right. He was a true prophet, direct revelation, infallible speech, not sort of iffy speech. Half it's right, and the other half's not quite right, but there we are. That's the best we can manage these days. No, uh, we just could not see today famines, pestilences, pandemics coming. And we've all had to learn to adjust quickly. Working out what uh, things may therefore lie ahead of us in this particular peculiar time in world history. What will the government's instructions be? What new things may we have to learn to adjust to, not only here, but in schools, colleges, places of work, restaurants, whatever else it might be. Well, we might, and I think truly would say, that we will really, really need persuading that churches need to close, that we really, really will need to see the evidence and the data for it. Because since churches were allowed to stay open in January, I know of no spike in COVID infection that is associated with church gatherings, or since we started singing that any kind of downturn and trouble, infection rates sort of rapidly rising is associated with that. And so we perhaps rather hope that those such instructions will be given to us as churches in the future. What of other things? Well, Seekers Club, well, we're making plans there amidst uncertainty, and we sure don't know how many are going to come at all. We're just haven't seen the children that are in the first year, as now is, who were in reception last year. We just weren't in the school to be able to see them. I'm hoping to go back and take school assemblies. But I can't say I've kind of, at the moment, blown too much dust off my uh, my Velcro board or uh, got my visuals there into an absolute state of readiness. I don't know. Schools are still in some degree of confusion about what they are going to be able to do. Open-air work, we'll be giving out literature and our door-to-door work, coffees on the lawn, Wednesday morning fellowships, 
Well, there are all kinds of things where it's hard to know just what may be able to be done and when it can be done. We're all making plans or not making plans, as the case may be, in the midst of uncertainty. But now let's move on to our second heading. If COVID has not gone away, sadly, we're going to be talking about it, I fear, for a while yet, not just in retrospect, looking at it in the rear view mirror, but actually it's still an ongoing situation that we're having to adjust to. The second heading is this. We are not the same. We're not the same. At least I hope I can say that. We are not the same. That this pandemic and everything it's done and the year and a half of it and still it grinds on has left us as people different. At least I hope it has. Has actually, as Christians, I hope, made us better. Better people for it. That's not a novel thought to go with a novel virus. That has left us ahead, not behind. That are we not reminding ourselves to be grateful for things that we just used to take for granted? Being able to, to be in the church building and singing praises to God, or being able to meet with friends in cafes and sit and comfortably talk with each other. Well, now, having lost those things for sizable amounts of time, or have them in some way impaired and, and compromised. Wow, it was nice yesterday to be sat with my son, having something to eat at a restaurant chain that we used to frequent. And there we were, back again. Food being served and not some weird app that I couldn't get my head round. You actually went up to the till and put in your order, just like the old days. How lovely it was. And how grateful I felt, actually, to be sat there, in a restaurant and other people and families. It was a nice atmosphere, enjoying the experience. That's more appreciative of people than when we couldn't actually meet each other. That, well, absence made the heart grow fonder, perhaps. It's been lovely. I look back on earlier in the spring and catching up with people, distant places and whatever. That's been really good. Really, really good. And we know now not to take for granted, just being able to meet people, be able to sit together and talk and read each other's expressions and try to figure out what's going on on Zoom and the kind of whole rows of faces looking at us there and who's sure who's going to talk where and when and didn't really catch what was said there. No, we can actually sit and talk and have a whole range of expression and catch what's happening, the humor of that and the, the subtlety of that. Ah, that's all back, back on the table, and how glad we are to see it there. Though again, honestly, it has to compel. I say we're not the same, and I hope we're not the same in as much as sometimes perhaps we have to say we've been glad not to be around people that they just say such horrible things and such dumb things and such unhelpful things that sometimes actually the absence uh, made us appreciate uh, silence can be golden and that we could just be on our own and enjoy our own time with our family, maybe, and with the Lord. And so we're not the same, but we're looking to actually make our conversations rather more meaningful, rather more beneficial. Not happy just to go back to the old normal, whatever that was, but wanting actually to be a little bit more never the same. So we've learned, haven't we also, to adjust to uncertainty. If in some ways we become appreciative of things we've been Denied, at least at, at times, different places. 
we've had to adjust to uncertainty and learn to do that. Well, we can say, in fact, could we not? Christians here, we, we understand death and we understand that that's, uh, put it that way somewhat humorously, but it's part of life that we're under the curse and each and every one of us, unless the Lord returns, will have to face death. And that's something that we're very used to. We talk about death. We'll be talking about death when we come to the communion table. It's a subject that is not the taboo subject that apparently it is in the world. No, no. No, this is a matter very much before us. So in a sense, uncertainty. Yeah, we're already factored in. We keep short accounts with God, or we should. Keep short accounts with each other. No, don't wait till tomorrow to write that letter. Make that phone call. You don't know. That person may not be here then. You and I may not be here then. So do it now. There's uncertainty everywhere. But in the more everyday things, uh, yes, we've had to learn to live with uncertainty there and to be able to adjust to it, to develop, buzzword at the moment, it's no bad word, this resilience, to be resilient. That's, that's actually there. It wouldn't take too much work to say, actually, that is something that a Christian should have. That rootedness, that established character, that, that groundedness, that there's that fortitude, courage even, facing, well, death, yes, but we have to face persecution, don't we? And that's the loss of some people right now in the world out there. Maybe for us, the more as days develop. But we've had to learn to, I use this phrase quite a bit, manage our expectations, manage our hopes, be able to live with disappointment and get on with it. Learn that. That's the Lord's providence, and we look to him, find his help, find his grace. Well, this is where Paul is saying himself, well, we had the sentence of death. They had rather more severe uncertainties surrounding them. They feared of life itself, but they learned to trust in him, learned that he establishes them, and that he anoints them, gives them help and, and stimulation, gives them refreshment of soul, and that those things they only learned in those hard times. So Paul is saying here, and we're not the same. We've learned. We learned through that experience. So we live continuing with an uncertainty that touches still upon day-to-day things, having refreshments, what we can do, where and when. And we cannot think that that is going to change immediately. We've learned, haven't we? Freedom days, well... By the time the caveats and the qualifications have been sort of put around, that the freedom has sort of frayed a little bit at the edges. And that maybe is still the new normal for us as churches, as believers, as a church planning ahead through this period of time. But I'll say this, and if, if in a way we're saying, well, I wish I was a bit different through the pandemic. I wish I had moved on and changed. The personal holiness is the key. Personal holiness, sanctification, the taking deeper within our soul, Christian truth, that it actually becomes part of us all the more. Not something bolted on, not something that happens on a Sunday, but it's dropped off us by a Monday. Something in us, working in us, something that's rooted in the very depths of our soul. Is sanctification doesn't just change certain things, visible things, outward things. It's changing us fundamentally from the inside out. Attitudes, deep-seated attitudes. You know, friends, sometimes we're just not aware 
what attitudes we hold. Then perhaps when we inquire more closely of our soul, we find out, what's that doing there? What's that unbelief doing there? What's that fear doing in there? And the Lord is speaking to us in those situations. That's sanctification. We should welcome that. Making our judgments, our evaluations more more Christian. Taking us more into comparing, contrasting. Having that scripture in your hand, but that scripture in your hand, wrestling with it and understanding at the end of it, what that scripture is saying and what that scripture is saying and how it applies more carefully and closely to our situation. It's growing in holiness, friends. Because then when that's embedded within us, that's going to make us wiser. Wiser in the world, wiser in our own Christian walk, wiser in how we communicate with each other, the people that we are toward each other. We should never be the same again because personal sanctification should be taking us deeper. And I say this, that it's not happening in us. I can see it's happening in other places and places not too far from here. Well, I could say that's rather exciting. What I see happening there and younger people who really are getting hold of something. I say amen to that. And may they run with that. And may they go beyond wherever any of us reached in that in our generation. It's encouraging. But it's also stimulating to us that, well, there they are, pressing on there. Well, so should we. And ever be looking to be growing, maturing, and looking to the Lord for that. And we would say, wouldn't we, there, in that sense, that we're always wanting to grow, grow up, mature. We're wanting to be perfected in the faith. So we're not the same, or at least we shouldn't be. And in living in the midst of uncertainty, and with me here, in that fairly sober estimate that I think we're going to have to live with uncertainty for a fair bit yet. There we are. It's a chance for us to mature. It's a provocation to us to be before God, learning to adapt, learning to be resilient, learning to be able to cope with uncertainties and and prosper in them. Now, my third heading, we need to make plans. We do. We need to make plans. Paul talks about plans. Therefore, in my verse 17, when I was planning this, 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 this visit that he was going to do, and then again on the way back, did I do it lightly? Did I do it lightly? And even though we've got uncertainties around us, we've got to be a bit tentative in places. It's not to stop us making plans. Even if some of those plans, and for different reasons to pull, we then have to unpick, or we then have to sort of back from that. And things that we thought were kind of known knowns now become unknown knowns or unknown unknowns, whatever Donald Rumsfeld gave us there when he was uh, the Defense Secretary in the United States. But I think we get what he means in that. There are things that suddenly change and we're, we're ever having to adapt to that. Well, we notice reading in Exodus 13, how the Lord gave to the people that pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night, give them light along their way and their journeys and their travelings. They may not have known, indeed didn't, very often where they were going to next, they followed the pillar. And sometimes it would stay in one place for a considerable length of time. But in a sense, wherever they went, they had to be thinking, well, we may be settling here. And once they had the tabernacle and all the equipment that the, the Levites were carrying with them, then they would have to erect it, which was no small undertaking. So it might have only been for a short time, and they were moving on again because the pillar of cloud was taken, the pillar of fire was 
was leading them into a fresh place. It's detailed in, in, in the book uh, there, in the Bible, detailing all the various stages of that pilgrimage. They stayed here for this length of time, and then they moved on to here. They had to learn to make plans, to settle, to be ready, to tabernacle properly erected, stable, to bring their worship into into functioning and into working, not knowing quite how long that they might be there for. And in a way, we are doing that too. We're looking to make plans. You dear friends, church members with your, your watch of reports and paperwork to read. Because there's a lot going on. There is a lot going on. Still regarding this building, there's a lot going on. Don't ask us about the telephone line. I'd be here all day, Alan and myself, telling you about that. There's a lot going on. Us becoming a charitable, incorporated organization, a CIO, and, and also removing ourselves then fully from oversight and property in terms of the Baptist Union. There's a lot going on and a lot more still to be done. Evangelism, looking to doing some door-to-door work. But dear friends, don't forget personal witness. Try a family. Start there with your neighbours. Start with them and be looking, make plans to evangelise right in your own street, perhaps. People that we might be getting to know a little bit. Been difficult with the pandemic. We know about that. It's been difficult. Moved into a new street and then within two months, the pandemic had hit. Before that, we had Storm Kira. Flattened half the, half the street, it seemed to do. I asked a neighbour. Some months into it, it's always like this in Weaver Close, you know, pandemic one day and a storm Kira the next day there. It seemed as if it was hard really to, to, to feel settled. Oh, getting to know people has been difficult. Well, let's perhaps try and look to be able to speak to them the precious things of Christ. Now, let me say this as I finish. In making these plans amidst uncertainty, if we've emphasized personal holiness and also emphasize prayer, but we need to be praying and we need to be very, very urgent in our praying. It's not easy times, not comfortable times. We as a church fellowship, forgive me visitors here, if we do a little bit of our own uh, kind of housework in this, but we as a church fellowship have no guaranteed future. No guaranteed future. Churches do close, you know. Churches that resemble much like ours close. We cannot just think that everything will just keep going. Everything will be just fine. Well, there's plenty happening. We've had loads of encouragements. That is true. But we must keep praying. Praying that we as a fellowship would have that future, and that hope that we have been praying for. By the God, grace of God, I can believe that I've, I've seen that. We've seen it together. There's still a long way to go. We still need people. We need to see conversions and baptisms and such things as that. And now, young people, let me stress that. Many of us can quite qualify for that, do you know what I mean? But keep a focus on them, do please. They are growing up in a world that is just shocking in terms of its attitudes and its views. Why just in terms of the way in which it conducts itself in discussion? If we can call it discussion, the shouting, raging, and howling, and insulting, and invectives that flying around. What a place to be. No wonder people are speaking up the place of freedom of speech, that it's so, so under threat. And it is. And in universities, it's hugely under threat. Now, friends, we must pray for our young people and what they're growing up with and in. 
And pray too. Well, don't need me to tell you about Afghanistan. Pray. Pray for these nations. Pray the dangers now the world is facing. The threats that perhaps weren't there a couple of months ago, but they're there now. And we need to be praying. Urgent need for God's people to pray, to be earnest, to be strong, to be vehement in their cries, the sorrows, the burdens that we feel. Oh, this world groans, doesn't it? Just all the extreme weather events that we could add to it is groaning. Friends, it is groaning. And we need to pray. We need to plan amidst all these uncertainties. Of course, ever looking, as Paul here, learning to look ever more closely there and relying upon God. Until we rely upon him, we'll lean on him, lean on him more. How much often we just breeze through Christian life, self-sufficiency. How little at times we've leaned on the Lord. We just do things because we've always done things. We just turn up at the stated time and things happen, etc., etc. But let's not be like that. Let's pray. Maybe we've never prayed before. God would help us, all of us, in the midst of our uncertainties, guide us through and that we may see, speaking again for ourselves here as a fellowship, a future and a hope opening up for us in a most wonderful way. Amen.